Awesome, awesome. By the way, I always remember incorruptible and indestructible because C comes before D, right? All right. So tonight we're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. I did bring a lot of scriptures in, but pretty much if you stay in that text, we're going to be all around that text. Okay? That's going to be our foundation for tonight. The title is called Revelations from the Temptations. And the scripture says, and I'm reading out of the uh, English Standard Version, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone. And the devil took him. It is written, Man does not live by bread alone. Now, this is a different, if you're used to uh, the other part, that's in the book of Matthew. Okay, so this is the Luke account. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And then he took him to Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So one of the most fascinating revelations of uh, the enemy, and you don't want to be fascinated by the enemy, but you got to know your enemy, right? Yeah. Comes uh, from this temptation when he tempted Jesus. Now, I don't know if you ever realized this, but Jesus was alone when this occurred. Matthew wasn't there. Luke wasn't there. John wasn't there. Mark wasn't there. So how is it that uh, we have an account of what took place? We've got to assume that these accounts are part of what Jesus decided that his disciples needed to know. He probably related these parts of the struggle because they were the most instructive. So using Luke's account, let's read about this encounter and see if we can learn something from this confrontation that Jesus had with an enemy. Now, how many of you know that people are not really our enemy? Right? Now, some of y'all are going, no, that's not true. (laughs) People aren't your enemy. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood is people, right? So who do we wrestle against? Powers, principalities, rulers, spiritual wickedness in high places. We wrestle against an enemy. We wrestle against a foe that these are all under his uh, uh, rule or under his leadership. And so it's important that we understand the dynamics of how the enemy works, right? Again, you don't want to be fascinated by the enemy. You don't want to spend all your time studying the enemy. You want to keep your eyes on the Lord. That's the most important thing. And keep your eyes on God. But Jesus himself said, be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. So there are some things that we can learn. So first of all, we want to look at tonight. First point we want to look at is the setting. Where is this taking place? The Bible says Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, 
returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So he's probably in Arizona somewhere. No. <laughs> he was in the desert for 40 days being tempted by the devil and he ate nothing during those days. I don't know. Sometimes your kids come, oh, I'm so hungry. I haven't eaten since breakfast. Well, try going 40 days without eating, you know? And when they were ended, he was hungry. So Jesus, I don't know if you know this, he was 100% God, but everything that he did on this planet, that everything we have recorded about him in the Gospels, about his life, he did as a man. Paul explains in Philippians 2, 6-7 that Jesus emptied himself, and that means that in some way he set, about, he set aside the use of his divine attributes. He could have used them, could have called on them at any time because he is God, but he didn't function as God on this planet. He functioned as a man empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So um, this being the case, um, you know, um, it had to be the case because God cannot be tempted by evil, it says in James right. 1.13. However, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted. Yeah. So he had set his divine attributes aside, still a part of him. He just wasn't accessing them. And he was functioning as a man. He was being tempted as a man. Now, we should also realize that he defeated Satan in this episode, not by using special power available only to him, but through the same power that we have access to. No, no, no. You say, he was Jesus. He was different. That's how he defeated the enemy. No, actually, he defeated the enemy as a man empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then at the cross of Calvary, he refashioned us renewed us reestablished us regenerated us made us in right relationship with god so we too having access through christ have authority to the spirit of god that lives in us and comes upon us we have uh, access to the name of jesus we have access to the blood of jesus all these things put us in a position where like jesus who did everything as a man empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can do the same. Amen. Amen. All right? Am I making sense to you? Yeah. Okay. So Jesus, and the other thing we need to see is, okay, let me just say this. That means that his battle approach, the way he approached this battle, can be and should be a fitting example for us to follow in our uh, battle with the enemy. Now, I was thinking about this before I, I, I sat down. Uh, or as I sat down, I don't know uh, uh, if Christians realize that the Christian walk is a fight. Yeah. Uh, Paul himself called it, uh, I've, I've, I've fought the good fight of faith, right? Yeah. It is a fight. And again, as I said before, our battle is not with flesh and blood, but he battles in the enemy. We are in a position of victory because Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father. And we are seated with him in Christ. And the enemy has been placed below our feet. Right? So we are still fighting an enemy, but we're not fighting the same way Jesus was, where he was fighting to overcome an enemy, which he did. He vanquished him at the cross of Calvary, made a public spectacle of him. But now in Christ, we have victory over the enemy, but we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. That's right. Amen. Now, it doesn't mean that we're seeking, we're not seeking for victory. We want victory, but overall, the victory was won at the cross. Hallelujah. But we still have work to do. And our yeah. life is yeah. a fight. Yeah. Yeah. It is a battle. Now, we don't always realize that, 
because the enemy doesn't show up with horns and a pitchfork and all that kind of things. You know, it just doesn't show up that way. But what we need to realize is that many times the battle that we face is through the temptations that we are offered through life. Because the enemy can't make you and he can't force you, but he can deceive you and he can lie to you. Yeah. And he can pull you in through manipulation, intimidation, all these things that he uses to step out of God's grace and into the enemy's territory. Yeah. Okay? So what we need to see here is that the Spirit led Jesus to confront Satan and be tempted by him, which suggests that he will let us face some temptation as well. Learning to withstand these attacks strengthens believers. God doesn't put you in a test for you to fail. That's right. That's right. He will allow us to be tested, but He never puts us in a test for us to fail. Your teacher, when she gives you a test at school, anybody here a teacher? I know, I know uh, Lynette functions as a substitute teacher. You don't want to identify with that anymore. <laughs> a lot of people are like, no, I'm out of the school now, you know. But anyway, teachers don't give you a test whether you believe it or not. They don't give you a test to fail you. They give you a test to see where you're at so that they can work with you and continue to help you to overcome the material that you're seeking to learn. Okay? And God didn't allow you to take a test for you to fail. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't fail sometimes. But his purpose and out of his goodness is not that you fail, but that you succeed. Okay? Learning to withstand the attacks of the enemy actually strengthens believers. Because after this trial, Jesus himself returned to Galilee. He went in full of the Holy Spirit, but he came out uh, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. In the power of the Spirit of God. Now, I want to look at the temptations, and I want to go through them uh, real quickly, and that's the second point that we're looking at, the temptations. And really, there's three temptations here, but uh, there's two ways to label this. I labeled it the way I, I liked it, and then I also labeled it the way the person that I was uh, studying labeled it themselves. So the first point, you have the second point is the temptations. Under that, you have A, and I call this my way, or the way of independence, Okay. Luke 4, 3 through 4 says, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone. Now on the surface, we might be tempted to think, If Jesus is hungry and he has the power to create bread, why not? His reply kind of points to the principle. The passage he cites is from Deuteronomy, where Moses explains why God gave the children of Israel manna to eat during the journey in the desert. Deuteronomy 8, 3 says, He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you to know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth yeah, of the Lord. Amen. So Moses reveals that God taught the people humility and dependence by supplying manna. They had no other sustenance in this extremely barren desert. If God didn't provide daily, they were going to starve. God was trying to teach them how to trust Him instead of resorting to a favorite human sin, which is independence. Independence means self-rule or self-sufficiency. We want to make our own decisions. We want to set our own direction and we want to meet our own needs so we don't have to depend on anyone or we don't have to depend most of all on God. Yeah. I don't need God in my life. The only people that need God, you ever heard this? The oh, people yeah. that need a crutch. Right. 
right? Yeah. I don't need a crutch in my life. I'm good. I'm a self-made man. Well, that's that's a, that's the sin of independence. My way. It's my way, and I I'm, I'm, I'm I can do it by that's myself. A stupid thing to say. But. <laughs> By citing this scripture, Jesus implied that Satan was tempting him to independence. But he instead would choose dependency and faith in God. We face the same temptation when we feel our needs are unmet and we take matters into our own hands by handling the situation in some way not prescribed by God. That's it. Yeah. Jesus shunned independence at all times. He said in John 5, 19, The Son can do nothing by Himself. He does only what He sees the Father doing. In John 8, 28, He says, I can do nothing on my own, but I say only what the Father has taught me. And so what we see here is that Jesus is rebuffing these temptations by choosing instead to keep his focus on the relationship and the trust that he has in his father. Satan loves independence. He lives that way and he thinks everyone should live that way. But waiting on the Lord is important for us as believers. Often God calls on us to live for a season, not for eternity, but for a season with unmet needs at times in order to strengthen our faith. Yeah. The pressure we feel on our faith when waiting on God brings us to a point of decision. Can I trust God to come through? As we struggle with this question, we have the opportunity to begin trusting God at a new level. I'm reminded of Abraham. And not everybody makes good decisions. We make mistakes. Every one of us are imperfect. Yeah, that's right. We strive to be like Christ and we strive for perfection. We're not, we're not in any way excusing sin and saying it's okay to be sinful. We're not saying that. What we're saying is on our journey with God, we all make mistakes, but we hope not to be able to repeat those over and over and over again. But even Abraham, the father of faith, he was believing God, I think, for 14, 15 years for the promise that he was going to be a father of a multitude. Only he couldn't have children. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, Sarah couldn't have children, but apparently he was still at the point where he could. And so Sarah says, why don't you take my servant Hagar and, and have a child by her and she'll become my child just like she's yours. And we fulfill the promise. Sounds like a good idea to Abraham. Sounds like a good idea sometimes to us. Because it, after all, God's in it. He wants me to have this. So why not just take a little step of, uh, you know, what we call just take a, 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 a step of what we might call it faith, but it's not. It's trying to do things in our own way. And, and make it happen ourselves instead of waiting on God. And then what happened is we call it he gave birth to an Ishmael. God said he's not the promised son. That's it. Isaac's going to be your promised yeah. son. And he had to wait another 14 more years, I believe, 14 or 15 more years for Isaac to be born. All right? And so, because God is not going to happen by what you can do, Abraham. And just to teach you that, the Bible says he had to wait till his flesh was as good as dead and Sarah's womb was as good as dead. And then there's nothing that he could do yeah. to bring it to pass except right. trust God. Right? That's it. Except trust That's it. in God. Now listen, I, I got saved in 1985. 
Now, God's been speaking to me since 1985. He hasn't been speaking to me about everything he's going to do in my life, but he's always said, I'm going to do this in your life. These things are going to happen in your life. You know, I was 21 years old when I got saved. I'm 59. I'm about to be 60 in December. I want to write that down. I'll give you the oh. birthday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, what I'm saying is that I'm just now in my life starting to see some fruitfulness visibly from things that God has said he would do in my life all this time. Now, I wish I could say that I never did things on my own. No, I went through lots of pain because I tried to make things happen on my own. I tried to do it in the name of God, for God, according to what God has shown me. But if I was really honest with myself, and I can be honest with myself now, I was deceived back then. It wasn't for God, it was for Rick. Rick wanted what Rick wanted. I wanted to do things for God, and I wanted to do what I wanted to do for God, not necessarily what God wanted me to do. And I'm just telling you, and the reason I share this with you is because I went through a lot of pain. A lot of pain. till I finally got to the place where I said, okay, God, not what I want, but what you want. Does that remind you of a guy named Jacob? Remember Jacob? His name means heel grabber. It also means deceiver, but it's heel grabber. I'm going to have whatever God promised me, and I'm going to make it happen. And we got to a place where he was in the, uh, I forgot what the name of the place where he wrestled with, uh, Peniel, right? Yeah. He was at Peniel, and, and Esau, his brother, was coming to get him because he wrestled away the blessing from him, and that's the way he perceived. He wrestled away the, the, the inheritance from him. He wrestled, uh, Esau wasn't happy, and the last time he saw Esau, 21 years ago, Esau was thinking about killing him, and now he's coming back home, and Esau's coming with 400 men, and he doesn't know what to do. He's always been able to work things around. He's always been able to figure out how to get up, but he can't figure this one out. That's right. And so he wrestles all night with an angel of God. And the only way that he found victory was not by wrestling, but what happened was the angel touched the hip of his thigh. Yeah. Marty, you struggle a little bit with your hip. Can you push off with your hip? You can't wrestle anymore because the strength comes from your hips, from your legs. And when you touch that sinew, the thigh, and God separated that, he no longer had strength to wrestle. So what could he do? All he could do was hold on. He held on and say, bless me. That's what he said. And you know, that's really called dependency. I have to get to the place where I die to my abilities and I begin to trust God for him to do what he says he's going to do in my life. But oftentimes trusting God to do it takes time. Yeah. And it takes a belief that God is faithful and sure to do what he's going to do. But in the meantime, we're 20, we're 30, we're 40, we're 50. God's never going to do what he's going to do. I'm going to have to do it myself. No. Trust God. Yes. And that's what Jesus is teaching us. Amen. And that's what the enemy doesn't want us to do. And he's tempting us to get outside of that dependency and make it happen on our own. We should also note that Satan's call to independence contains an implied lie. The implied lie is that God 
isn't going to meet your needs. Therefore, he cannot be trusted. You have to provide for yourself. Underlying each and every temptation by the enemy is a direct challenge to the truth of God's word. What did Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Our underlying beliefs about what's true will influence our ability to resist temptation. And I should say this, what you really believe is not what you can quote. What you really believe is what comes out when you're under pressure. Yeah, that's it. Just like, is that fruit any good? The only way you're going to know is by squeezing it and see what comes out. Yeah, that's right. Oh, God, I'm so glad. I'm so good. God, just me and you, we're awesome. Everything's going great. Everything's going wonderful. And all of a sudden, a storm comes, and you're ready to throw your family overboard. You're ready to throw your spouse overboard. You're ready to throw your boss overboard, your job overboard, your church overboard, your walk with God overboard. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you're under pressure. Yeah. Right? Yet the Bible says, rejoice in the Lord Always. Always. Does it really say that? Yeah, it does. What else does it say? And again, I say rejoice. In everything, give thanks. Amen. Not some things. That's right. Not most things, but in everything, give thanks. Why can't I do that? Because I know God is good, and I know God is faithful. And I may be going through a difficulty for a trial for a little time. But in the end, God always comes through. That's right. All right. Second temptation. Second temptation. The first way was my way. And we call, and uh, uh, what was the other thing I used for that? The independence. The second one is the easy way. And uh, the author used this uh, title. He said reasonableness. Okay. Luke 4, 5 through 8. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now here Satan makes an extraordinary claim that he owns all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Now, I don't know if you recognize this or if you've realized that Jesus did not challenge that. When did he get the authority to rule all these cities when Adam gave it to him? When Adam sinned, you become a servant, a slave to the one you obey. When Adam obeyed the devil, he became the devil's slave. Now, that's the thing that people don't realize. Well, I don't serve anybody. I don't serve the devil. But what you don't realize, when you have that attitude, you are in the devil's domain. If you don't serve God, there's no the Republicans and Democrats and Independents. It's God or the devil. If you're not serving God, you're serving the devil. And you're not serving God because you think to yourself, I, my family's Catholic, or we're Protestant, or that, no, that doesn't mean you're serving God. The only way that you're serving God is if you're confessing God and living for Hallelujah. God. Hallelujah. Amen. I went to church once, therefore I'm a Christian and I'm okay. I said a prayer of salvation once, but you're living for the devil. It's not the same. Doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but your heart has to be all in. Yeah. 
I belong to God. It's not Amen. God and me ride together. It's no, I died to myself and gave my life to God. Amen. That's Amen. the way Christianity works. Amen. So anyway, um, Jesus said, uh, you shall not put the Lord your God. No, that's not it. Okay. So I... Uh, um, See, I don't have my, my iPad, so I'm trying to figure out my... Uh, and Jerry wants me to save paper, so I'm printing on the front and back. <laughs> He's right, though. He yeah. should, but I'm not used to that. You know, I'm not used to that, right? So he said, it's written, you, sh <laughs> you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Here Satan makes an extraordinary claim. That he owns all the kingdoms of the world. We already saw that, right? And Jesus didn't challenge him. Jesus had to come to take the world back from the enemy by establishing his kingdom. When the enemy offered Jesus ownership of the world, his offer was in accord with what God wanted for Jesus. In other words, the goal was the same. Obviously, the problem was how you go about achieving the goal, right? The means... Were unacceptable. Satan was basically suggesting that Jesus could do God's work the world's way. Yeah. That's, That's what I'm right. saying. That's right. He was saying, you can do what God wants for you, but you don't have to do it God's way. You can do it this way. Satan's uh, lie, therefore, was not that he owned the uh, Satan's lie was not that he owned the world, but that one could possibly accomplish God's work through sinful means. Again, Jesus' citation of God's word laid the question to rest. Those of us interested in serving God should be able to identify. We too will find ourselves being tempted to do God's work through Satan's means. Listen. One of the most precious gifts that God has given us as people is free will. Amen. You cannot make people and you cannot force people to do things they don't want to do. That's right. Now you say, well, yes, you can. Obviously you can, but that is not God's way. And so when we try to do the work of God in that way, you are actually doing it the enemy's way. You can do things that look godly, but if you're using ungodly means, you're not promoting God's kingdom, you're promoming the enemies. Yeah. Right? So, um, there's a scripture that I'm thinking about. It's, um, um, they look religious, but they have no power. Uh, you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. Uh, those who have a form of godliness. They have a form of godliness, but no... Power thereof. See, the power of God doesn't come by you doing the right thing. It's as much how you go about That's doing exactly that right. thing as much as what you do. Amen. Right? And so, as a church, we always have to give people freedom. There is a lie going around today. Again, it's not new. It's been around for the longest time. I was thinking about this the other day. And it's not universalism. It's, it's Christian universalism. Universalism says that always go to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except through me. There's another lie going around that there is no hell. Well, if there's no hell, why would you need a Savior? Yeah. Right? So if you, if you take away hell, then you take away a need for a Savior. And if you don't need a Savior, why would you need Jesus? 
Yeah. Right? So there's all there the, the Savior uh, implies that there's a reason to be saved. But then there is this thing that says, well, when Jesus paid a price on the cross of Calvary, his work paid a price for everyone to go to heaven. Well, it sounds good. I would want it to be true, but biblically it's not true. It's a deception. Okay? Because the bottom line is, if you if Jesus paid a price, and he did pay a price for everyone to go to heaven, but only for those who call upon the name of the Lord. Right? So if you're unsaved and you don't call upon the name of the Lord, what they're saying is that it's all going to work out in the end. Don't worry about it. Jesus paid a price for you. However, what that takes away from people is the most precious gift that he gave us, and that is free will. We have to always, and God always gives us the freedom to choose. If there wasn't about choosing, he wouldn't have to send his son Jesus. Uh, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. No greater love. What is love? It's offering of yourself to someone else. Uh, no greater love has anyone than this than he laid down his life for his friends. If it was not free will, he could make us, he could force us. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. If it wasn't free will, he could have removed the two trees from the garden of Eden. But he didn't do that because the most precious gift he gave us was free will. Amen. And by the way, that should make a difference on how we treat our families. Yeah. Right? Now, when you have children... You can be a little more direct and a little more uh, encouraging with them. But one of the struggles that we've had as adults is how learning how to transition from children to adults. Because then you have to more and more give them the freedom to choose as independent people because they're becoming independent people. And what we hope they will choose is not to remain independent, but in their independence, recognize the beauty of dependence upon God and interdependence with one another. But it has to be their own choice. All right. I, I took off on a, on a, on a long de detour there, but I hope it all made sense to you. So anyway, this temptation has been very prominent in church history. Leaders frequently have used deception, manipulation, greed, and even coercion to build the kingdom of God. Like Jesus, we must see through the veil the enemy cloaks this temptation in and reject it with the truth of God's word. Now listen, sometimes we're, well, we're all trying to get to the same place. Sometimes you've got you, you to lie in order to be able to... No, no, it doesn't work. That's right. Now, listen... I was reading something this morning, and uh, I like what he said. He said, can Christians, and, and, and I'm not going to get off on this, but you know, can Christians be, be demon, uh, the, the question was demon-possessed, but the reality is can Christians be afflicted by demons and all that kind of stuff. And that's not really the right question. It's not really the way to look at it. The best way to look at it is to understand that the enemy traffics in darkness. Yeah. Wherever there's darkness, the enemy has a freedom to move. Right. And so why is that important? Is because we've got to bring everything to the light. Yeah. If we hide sin, right. if we hide, uh, if we're working in darkness, we don't want everybody to know that what you're doing is you're giving the enemy an opportunity to mess with you in life. Yeah. So right. the best thing to do is always to be open and bring things into the light. Now, sometimes it's not always the easiest thing to do, but I promise you, that the little bit of pain you suffer by bringing things into the light is much greater than the pain you will suffer by allowing the enemy entrance yeah. into your life. Yeah. Am I making sense to you? Yeah. Okay. 
Okay. It, Jesus is the light yes. of the world. He is the light of men. And we've got to learn how to live as children of light. Arise and shine, for the light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Okay, so let's get to the third temptation. The third temptation is the highway. Not the highway, but the high, the elevated way, and we'll call that pride. Luke 4, 9 through 12. And he, the enemy, took, took Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. After Jesus rebuffed him twice by citing Scripture, Satan showed that he can also use the Bible. He knows it. Well, he knows it better than we do, right? You know he knows it better than we do. But he quotes Psalm 91, God's promise of divine protection to Jesus. Why jump from the temple? Why not jump from a high mountain? Why not jump from some other high place? Why the temple? Because the temple was the most public place in Israel. Jesus could prove his legitimacy to the people in a moment. We see here both issues found in the previous temptations. Jesus is challenged to take his ministry advancement into his own hands. Again, Jesus responded with scripture. He cited Deuteronomy 6, and it perfectly goes to the heart of what Satan was suggesting. Jumping from the temple would put God in a position where he has to act. Instead of humbly following God, this would be a shameless attempt to manipulate God. Jesus and the enemy were both using the Bible. Jesus went beyond proof texting to balancing what we might call the whole counsel of God. The Bible says to rightly interpret the word of truth. You can pull a scripture here and a scripture there to say and to mean whatever you want. You actually can do that. And that and the Satan is very good at doing that. I like it whenever you're talking to people. Um, uh, this example is what I like. When you're talking to people, and they always know one scripture. Uh, you're not supposed to judge. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but we're not judging. The scripture is judging. The scripture is what is defining what's right and what's wrong. We're not judging by declaring what scripture says. All we're doing is saying, we believe scripture to be true, and this is what scripture says. Oh, you're judging me. No, I'm not. The word of God is judging. I, I was reminded of a time um, whenever uh, uh, we used to have a youth pastor. His name was Marco Echartea, uh, and he was working with some boys who were very hard to work with. All right. But he knew that he wanted to reach them. He was bending over backwards with them. And one day, I guess he just he didn't know what to do anymore because they wouldn't listen to him. They were causing a ruckus. They were creating problems. And the struggle that he had was, but we're supposed to reach them. We're supposed to work with them. And I don't know what to do anymore. And I said, Marco, try looking at it this way. I said, you're not saying that you want them to go. They are saying they don't want to be here. Because you're saying in order to be here, this is what is required. This is what you have to do. If they are not willing to submit to that, then they are basically telling you, I don't want to be here. So you're not asking them to go. They're screaming that they want to go. 
And that's the same thing with Scripture. Scripture tells you very simply, this is what Scripture says. One of the things that, what's the big battle today? Oh, pronouns, uh, you know, all these kind of things. But the Bible says he created them male and female. Well, you're judging me. You're telling me. No, I'm just telling you the Bible says he created man and in, and created them. He created them male and female. Well, I don't like that. We'll take it up with God's word. That's right. I'm not judging. I'm just telling you. Yeah. You're kind of stupid. <laughs> You've fallen into deception. Yeah. You believe you believe the lie. Yeah. And you got all these people coming around and, and telling you, oh, you don't have to be a man if you're a woman. You don't have to be, you know, you don't have to be a woman. Uh, you can be a man, you know, in other words, you're born a man, you don't have to be a man, you can be a woman. But look at all the stuff you gotta do just to try to convince yourself that you're not who you truly are. Yeah, right. Yeah. DNA doesn't lie. Yeah. It's like, well, science says men can have babies. Oh, that's the most stupid, ridiculous argument that's ever been made. It's the, 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 the Bible says the foolishness of the world, right? And you're so intelligent, quote unquote, that you don't realize that it's foolishness. Even little kids are wiser than that, right? They become professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. And again, we're not demeaning anybody. If you have somebody in that situation, in no way are we trying to mock them. All we're trying to say is that it's a stupid, uh, uh, it, is a, it is a foolish lie that they stupidly embraced and the enemy is laughing from here to eternity in hell because he's bringing all these people along with them and they're not wise enough to see that this is not God's will for them. That's right. Okay. So anyway, um, the lying nature of temptation is again evident. Satan's suggestion implies that we need to pressure God. You can't wait on him to come through. He's too self-interested to keep an eye on what's best for you and obviously we know that that is not true right. that's what the enemy wants us to be so then we'll end up here with the last point is the last Adam first Corinthians 15 45 thus it is written the first man Adam became a living being the last Adam became a life-giving spirit yeah. just as Adam begot a fallen race of humans separated from God Jesus gave birth to a new humanity united with God many other contrasts are also possible Consider their situations when tempted. Adam was with his wife in full strength and perfect health. Jesus was alone, isolated, feeling weakened and hungry at the end of a long fast. Adam was tempted in a lush, beautiful garden where all his needs were met. Jesus faced Satan in a stark, hot and dry environment, the desert. Adam's temptation was to do something obviously wrong. Jesus was tempted to act in ways that seemed morally neutral. In some important ways, however, the two incidents are quite similar. Adam and Eve's temptation centered on the Word of God, and Jesus' temptation likewise centered on the Word of God. In Genesis 3 and 1, uh, the serpent said to the woman, Did God actually say? And by the way, I'm going to yeah. throw this in here, so that was very good. God did actually did not give Eve the command. He gave it to Adam. That's right. Yeah. Adam gave the command to eat. Yeah. And when the enemy came, he didn't come to Adam, he came to Eve. Right. Because there's always that 
thing where the enemy is trying to subvert authority. He's trying to play on that. So sometimes, and he still does it today, you know, he tries to subvert any authority in your life. Well, if God doesn't tell me, I don't believe it, I don't want to keep I, I, I don't have to follow it. But God is all into authority. Yeah. We may not like it, may not fit well with us, but God created authority. But he didn't. He said, "Well, I don't like authority because authority, uh, you know, too much authority in the wrong place can hurt people." But God is a good God, and you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater just because it's been abused in the past. Doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. Right. What it means is you just have bad people in authority, and what you got to do is get some good people in authority. But authority is actually a good thing, and was created by God. That's why Paul says, "Submit to those that are in authority." Okay. So anyway, in Genesis 3 and 6, the Bible says when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, what did she do? She took it. So what I want you to see is that Satan appealed to Eve based on the lust of the flesh. What was that? The fruit was good for food. The lust of the eyes. What was that? The fruit looked good. It was beautiful. And the pride of life. The fruit was able to make one wise like God. And with Jesus, the enemy struck the same strategy. The lust of the flesh, making the stones into bread. The lust of the eyes, all the beauty and grandeur of the world can be yours. And the boastful pride of life, showing off by jumping from the temple. Right? So in his first letter, the Apostle John reveals to us that these three means of temptation cover the core of the world system. 1 John 2, 15 through 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Understanding these key tactics of the enemy becomes a major advantage for believer who can learn his ways. One final contrast, and in fact the biggest and main one, was the result. With Adam there was failure, but with Jesus there was victory. Yeah, amen. Now, in finishing Luke 4.13, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The last verse of our text reminds us that Satan would be back. Yeah. However, let's restate that Jesus has given us the advantage. He not only reveals to us the core of the enemy's temptations, but he also equips us with the means to overcome. Amen. In his victory, we have victory. Hallelujah. Yeah. Let me yeah. say that again. Yeah. In his victory, we have victory. Victory. Yeah. James 4 and 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Revelations 12 and 11. And they conquered him. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony because they love not their lives even unto their Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hopefully you learned something tonight. Yeah. And again, our goal is not to, uh, uh, you know, just spend all our time uh, studying the enemy. But it's good to know your enemy. That's right. 
So that you can recognize when something is coming against you, you can say, this ain't God. Yeah. And if it ain't God, I know what to do. Yeah. Submit myself to God, resist the devil, and he will, will flee. Uh, sometimes you got to resist more than once. I'm just telling you. The devil can be persistent. 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 There's a scripture in Proverbs. I'm not sure if it's Proverbs 6 or 7. Where there was a, a woman going after a young boy. Solomon said he, he was quoting this account. I saw this from my... Uh, and, uh, from my vantage point, and I noticed there was this woman. She, she, he said her husband was gone, and she painted her eyes, and and then she came and she trying to coax this guy. And made some metaphor for coaxing him into sin, right? Yeah. But here's the thing: is she kept talking to him. He's he's like he was like he wasn't going to do it. He wasn't going to do it. But she was persistent, 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 persistent. And the Bible says finally he just submitted. Yeah. And you know, if we were honest, I would probably venture a guess that every one of us knows what that feels like. No, I'm not going to do that. No, no, no. That's wrong. I shouldn't do that. No. But the enemy's persistent. Mm -hmm. Persistent until finally we say, ah, tired of fighting. Why not? You know, I'll deal with it later. Yeah. And then the Bible says he doesn't realize that this, their, her house was the way to death. Yeah, right. Right? And that's where sin leads. That's right. The wages of sin is death. So it's important to recognize that if he had been following wisdom he would have never been in this place of town right. to begin with That's right. but being in this place of town the Bible says flee youthful lust and so you find yourself in that you get out of it as soon as possible it's not, it's not a sin to be tempted it's what you do with the temptation yeah. if you think well I can stand I can no no recognize that sometimes you just need to Flee. You need to do things to get out of the temptation because the enemy is not going to stop. Now, at the same time, you can say, uh, unlike this guy, you can say, I recognize who you are. And in the name of Jesus, I command you by the authority of Christ to leave. I come against you in Jesus' name. And then do what you got to do to get out of the situation, but continue to say no. In the name of Jesus, I refuse to participate in that. Because oftentimes the battle's in the mind. I refuse to participate in that. I refuse to go that way. In the name of Jesus, I come. And I'm going to tell you something. And when I've done that, it, I've got a measure of freedom over time. Yeah. No, I refuse to participate in that. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to do that. And then freedom. But you've got to, in the name of Jesus, no. And then get right. yourself out of that situation. Right. Get yourself out of that uh, cycle. Get yourself out of that place you're going to be. But recognize it's not a battle with uh, 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 flesh and blood. It's a battle with a foe yeah. that God has shown us that in Christ we can overcome. Yes. Amen. 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 All right.